Have you ever been nudged by God? One Monday night, when my son Jason was 12 and our, our daughter Jennifer was 8, we were at a nearby United Dairy Farmer, stopped in for chocolate malts, and the worker at the fountain was 50-ish, very friendly, taking a, an interest in our children. I asked her, how's business been? She said that the warmer spring weather had been bringing out a lot of customers, and I said, that's good. It helps the time to go more quickly when you're busy. She added, yes, and it gives you less time to think about things. I wondered what things were worrying her. I sipped my malt and waited for an opening to talk further, and she dipped cones for two other customers, and then alone again, I proceeded to shift our conversation to a level beyond small talk, and I asked, are you going through a difficult time? Me, personally? Well, I, I was in a bad wreck recently, and I totaled my car, but I'm lucky to be alive. Did the insurance take care of everything for you? Not really. I owe about $1,400. There was a, a mix-up, and the car rental wasn't included in my coverage, and the money I've had to pay for car rental could have been my down payment for another car. We talked for a few more moments, and uh, I, I told her I hoped that things would work, out, would work out, and I assured her that I'd be praying for her. Driving home, the kids and I discussed what had taken place. I wish I could give her the $1,400 she's needing, I thought aloud. Then Jason suggested, well, since we can't do all of it, why don't we give her $100? I said, that's a great idea. We'll go home, get the checkbook, come right back, find out her last name, and write her a check tonight. It was growing late on a school night, but I realized that the lesson learned would outweigh the benefit of 30 minutes of sleep, so I brought the kids back with me. After re-entering the store, the three of us waited for our opening, calling the worker aside, what's your last name? She told us, and I wrote it in, completing the name on the check, and then I delivered a statement that I had rehearsed en route. Here's a check for $100 to help with your car expenses. I wish we could give you the entire amount you need, but we hope this will help. We give it to you in Jesus' name. She hugged me and began to cry. She thanked us and excused herself, went into the stock room to regain her composure. And we left the store with a, a profound sense of joy. A week later, we received this thank you note. Dear brother and sister Stone, thank you for your recent gift to me. It came at a time of great need. I had written a check to the rental place for the car I had used and had thought that my bonus check would cover the, the last $120 of it. When my bonus check came, it was for only $21.75. I tried to get my pastor on the phone because he said that he would help, but he was out of town. I told the Lord I, I knew he would provide, but as usual, I didn't know how. And when you handed me that check, it was an answer to prayer. Thanks for listening to that still, small voice, Carolyn. That reference, still, small voice, is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12 in the King James Version. Here's the scene. Evil King Ahab had told wicked Queen Jezebel all that the prophet Elijah had done, how he had slain the false prophets of Baal with the sword. 
And so the queen put out a, a, a death threat against Elijah, and Elijah went on the run for his safety. And he began to have a pity party, saying, Lord, just take my life. Now, he really didn't mean that, or he could have stayed right where he was at, and Jezebel would have taken care of that. But he said the Lord passed by in a, a great strong wind, but the Lord was not in the wind. And he said after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And verse 12 says, after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a still small voice. In the silence of solitude, Elijah listened for direction, and he heard God speak to him. Have you ever heard God's still, small voice? If we are listening and are in tune, God will direct us to help someone in need of his assistance and care. God is nudging you to be the answer to someone's prayer. Will you listen to his still, small voice? Let's turn in the New Testament to Acts chapter 8, the account of Philip and the Ethiopian, and pick up in, in verse 26. It, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, the, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian, an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen. So th this man had come from Ethiopia, northern Africa, up to Jerusalem to, to worship. He was a convert to, to Judaism, to that religion. He was on his way home, sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, this Old Testament scroll. And the spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? Well, I can help you. So he invited Philip to, to climb up into the chariot, ride with him. Sometimes we can be uncomfortable discussing the working of the Holy Spirit for fear of being identified with the, the charismatic movement. And, and so in some cases, little is said about allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our, our daily direction for his purposes. Here, Philip was listening. He was in tune. And when God's Spirit said, hey, go over and help that guy. He, he, needs, he needs to talk to someone. He, he listened to that prompting. I, I think too little is said in, in many churches uh, about listening to God. And while I've never heard an audible voice say, Jeff, do this, or Jeff, don't do that, I've often felt the gentle nudges of God's Spirit prompting me to extend His love through my presence, my, my words, a cash gift, a phone call, a card, a supportive hug. And when I have followed those leadings from the Lord and have allowed myself to be a conduit through which he can flow, it is always a rush. Christian author, apologist C.S. Lewis told of a time when he listened to this gnawing nudge of a God-appointed meeting. That morning, he said, I had the strangest prompting to get a haircut, do it now, 
get a haircut. And so reluctantly, Lewis went to the barber shop. And when he entered the shop, his friend, the barber, exclaimed, Thank God you are here. I'm having a problem. I need to talk to you. I've been praying all morning that you would stop by for a haircut so I could speak with you. C.S. Lewis wrote of the experience, It awed me. It still awes me. That's how I feel whenever I listen to God and take action when he has nudged me. One August tragedy visited the church I served where a 13-year-old grandson of one of our families died suddenly in a boating accident near his family's vacation cabin. Compounding the grief and preventing closure was the fact that his body had not yet been discovered and retrieved from the deep lake. A team of 40 volunteer divers worked the lake during the daylight and then the second day, all day, with no sign of his young body. I planned to go to the lake the next afternoon and spend some time with the family who were still there. And I woke early that third morning just grieving and unable to sleep. And a strong compulsion seemed to direct me to go to the lake first and not to wait until that afternoon. So instead of following my daytimer, I, I followed what I believed to be the Lord's leading, and I, I drove to the lake. By cell phone, while en route, I canceled two previously scheduled morning appointments. I arrived at the lake house, embraced the devastated grandparents who ushered me into the kitchen, and immediately they asked me to pray specifically for the divers to quickly find their grandson's body. We joined hands and stood in the, the kitchen and and prayed together for the next five to ten minutes. We, we agonized with God, boldly approaching his throne of grace and begging for God's help and healing. Before I could say amen, we heard a knock on the screen door. It was the, the leader of the diving team. He said simply, we've just found Billy's body. And I was glad that I had been able to respond to the nudge of God and, and to help provide the answer to their prayers. When we sense his timing and his promptings, we need to follow through and act with obedience. Often our first reaction may be to hesitate. Maybe you feel inadequate for the task. Maybe you feel frightened because God is nudging you out of your comfort zone. Don't miss God's nudge. Obey these promptings and those nudges from God. In January 1982, there was a, a tragic airplane crash right outside of Washington's National Airport. It had been snowing, and the television news re replay as Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the Potomac River just 20 seconds after taking off. It hit about three or four inches of snow on the wings, and it could not gather enough altitude because of that extra weight, and it landed right in the Potomac River. Seventy-four of the 79 passengers on board would die from that crash. And the video showed a, a couple of passengers in the frigid water of this blizzard as they struggled to grab the life ring that had been dropped down from a helicopter. And there were four different people who were pulled to safety. They had been in the water for almost 15 minutes, this icy water 
and they were pulled out. It was all they could do to muster enough strength just to hold on. But there was one woman who was still out there. She was partially, uh, she was on a partially submerged cake of ice, feebly paddling for shore, uh, apparently in shock. And it was so cold that she was unable to grasp a hold uh, of the, the ring that had been dropped to her. Every time she would try to latch onto it, she would slip off of it and, and fall back in as the, the helicopter would try to, to take her away. And this happened repeatedly. The, the Washington Post said, although the shoreline was now crowded with rescue personnel and this woman's fate was obvious, nobody acted. But at that moment, a 28-year-old government errand runner named Lenny Skutnik, who stood watching from the riverbank, could stand it no longer. He later said, I felt so helpless. She was screaming, would somebody please help me? Would somebody please help me? It looked like she had passed out, and he said, I, I saw her go under, so I pulled off my boots and my coat, and I jumped in the water. And Skutnik swam to the woman, dodging chunks of ice and airplane debris. He, he got her, raised her head up, and then pulled her all the way back to the shore. When Lenny Skutnik was asked later why he did it, he said, when that girl needed saving, God looked around and said, Eeny, meeny, miny, and you're mo. So I jumped in. You know, Satan would love nothing more than for us to remain apathetic bystanders, casual spectators. And Satan whispers to us daily, hey, come on, there are plenty of other people. You don't need to get involved in the action. Uh, others can do it. You don't need to step up. God doesn't want you to use your influence He'll use someone else. And, and frequently as Christians, we sense that God would have us get involved in, in some difficult work. But when we look at the challenge, we say, oh, the, the water looks awfully cold. And it, it seems really dangerous. And, and you know what? There are other people who can swim a lot better than I can. So I'll, I'll just let them take care of it. So here's the take home. When, when God taps you on the shoulder and says, you're Mo." you'd be ready to jump in. When you sense the Lord nudging you, prompting you to be obedient to his word in some regard, follow through immediately. Don't delay. Don't miss an opportunity. And we all have those chances every day. It may mean sending an encouraging card timed to lift and encourage a grieving church member. It might mean giving a fast food gift card to the homeless person standing on the corner with a homemade cardboard sign. It might mean giving a smile to a lonely senior citizen or offering a listening ear to a burdened, worried stranger in the elevator. It might be leaving a generous tip to the stressed out server. God will guide you to the one needing an answer to prayer at that moment on that day. In Matthew 25, Jesus said that doing a kindness for someone in need is the same as if you were doing it directly, personally, to the Lord himself. Verse 37 of Matthew 25, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Bible is clear that we are all spiritually, eternally lost without Christ. If there isn't a hell, then we would not need to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. But as Jesus clearly indicated, there is a hell, and rescuing people from going there is the paramount purpose of the church. Now, that's what Jesus expressed. His life purpose was articulated in, in Luke 19.10. When referring to himself, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Since the church's inception on the day of Pentecost, this has been the primary task before us. Augustine described the human predicament this way, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And no accomplishment, no recreation, no relationship, no material possession will ever fully satisfy that ache in each of us that seeks a connection with our Creator. If we develop that, then we find spiritual meaning in life in the here and now, as well as the enjoyment of eternal life with the Lord in the hereafter. And so we want to be intentional about reaching out to others and, and growing our church. And we make no apology about desiring to grow and expecting to grow. Being bigger doesn't make a church better, but it does mean more people are coming to know Christ. And, and that is what is critical. Numbers are important, not because we like to count people, but because people count. Each member represents one person, an, an individual. It, it could be your son or daughter, your husband or wife, your, your father or mother, a friend, a, a co-worker, a, a neighbor, your server at the restaurant, someone new to the community, someone from the Y or from your bank. And when a guest you've invited comes to church, now that loved one is hearing God's message proclaimed and, and learning to worship our maker and, and experiencing the chance to start growing in a relationship with the Lord. And it's our responsibility to introduce them. So how do we, we do that? Well, we determine to be intentional about building relationships with others, looking for ways to introduce them to Jesus through conversations and inviting them to attend worship or a life group, reaching out and serving others in ways that make a, an impact. It will take a lot of courage for many to, to, to walk into our worship service. And so realizing that we want to remove as many of the obstacles as we can to make it easier for people to connect with the Lord whether that's the laid-off middle-aged employee worried about finances or the, the teen girl struggling with an eating disorder or the, the husband deciding whether to divorce or, or reconcile with his wife or the exhausted single parent who just feels overwhelmed or the widowed senior citizen who wrestles with loneliness every day. Those are just some of the hurts and needs represented by some who might visit one of our Easter services next weekend. Uh, they may have a feeling of hopelessness, and we have a, a message of great hope 
found in Jesus that we want to share. But above all, would you begin to see yourself in the role of being an ambassador for Christ? That's the term that's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. When, when I was 15, my good friend Harvey Bream III, the older son of, of Harvey and Mary Ann Bream, had met a girl at church camp named Pam. And Harv was too shy to call her. So Harv lived in, in Forest Park. Pam lived in Williamsburg. He asked me to call her up and talk to her and mention his name a lot throughout the phone conversations. And he said, you, you can be my ambassador. You, you know, my ambassador, just talk about me, put in a good word for me. I said, I don't think I want to do that, Harv. He said, I'll pay you. I said, how much? He said, a quarter each time you say my name. I said, okay, I could probably do that. So. And so it began. For the next month, I would make bi-weekly phone calls to Pam that turned out to be more profitable to me financially than they did to Harv romantically. But I can't read this verse without thinking of that story when he asked me to, hey, speak for me. That's what Paul says we've been asked to do for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. One study suggests that those visiting a church decide in the first seven minutes after arrival whether or not they will return to that church. That's before the music. That's before the message. That's why first impressions are so crucial. Uh, people are deciding if, if I'm being received with a warm welcome here. Am I wanted here? Am I welcome here? Do I fit in here? And once a church reaches a couple of hundred or more in attendance, one doesn't know often who is a regular attender and, and, and who is a, a guest visiting. And some people have said, well, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth and, and introduce myself or welcome someone who I think is new if they've been here longer than I have. And let me give you a, a better solution here. Just be friendly to everybody. And, and it really it won't matter. And, but we do need to go out of our way to, to smile and speak and welcome a new face. And we have time after we've greeted those who may be unacquainted with us yet. We can do that, uh, visit with those old friends later. They'll still be around. But um, all, all of us need to have that connection. And we all come here in search of spiritual answers. So we need to realize that we are Christ's public relation representatives for our church. We are ambassadors for Christ. I remember when I first visited Saddleback Church in Mission Viejo, California. As I walked in from the parking lot in the bright, sunny California sunshine, I was spoken to by seven or eight people as I walked across the parking lot and into the courtyard and into the building. Hey, we're glad you're here. Welcome to Saddleback. Enjoy your worship today. Good morning. Hello. Welcome. Hi. You get the idea. By the time I sat down in my seat, I was revved up and ready to worship God and, and bring him my best in, in praise. And Rick Warren, who ministered at that church, has said that the way to grow your church is to be nice to people. Isn't that revolutionary? Now, who would ever thought of that? So everywhere you go this spring, when you're grilling out, when you're 
welcoming a new employee at work, when you're shopping at the mall, when you're visiting the zoo, when you're picking up someone at the airport, you're visiting someone in the hospital, represent Christ well. You're his ambassador. Love God. Love people. Impact the world. Watch for those, those opportunities. As we do, you'll see God plants us in different places throughout the course of the day to extend his love to different people, to be the answer to their prayers. He brings people into our lives. He crosses our paths, but it's up to us to respond to his nudges. My brother wrote about a time when he felt nudged by God. and In his words, he said, Sometimes I'll, I'll go to Carrollton, Kentucky, to work on sermons, and I'll just spend the entire day there. And whenever I'm out of town, I, I usually eat at places that my wife would never go in. There's this greasy spoon diner there. So early in the afternoon, I went in. I had my laptop with me. I was eating, getting some work done. I noticed there was a woman at a table, a few tables away. She had two little kids with her, and she just kept looking out the window at the mechanic's place next door. She was kind of watching and, and, uh, and seeing what was going on over there the whole time. I, I overheard her, her say to the server, uh, thanks so much for letting me hang out. I'm, I'm sorry it's been a while, but you're, you're kind to let us just eat and hang out here. So when he finished, my brother went over and said, hey, is everything all right? Is there, is there anything you need? She said, no, everything's good. My, my truck broke down. We're uh, having to get a new U-Haul. My U-Haul isn't working, and I'm moving from Ohio to, to Texas, and we're just kind of en route there. He said, well, good to meet you, and uh, he headed to his car. And he said, have you ever gotten to your car and just kind of wished that you would have done something more and, and wished that you would have done something else? And he said, I just really felt this prompting that I, I need to do something more. He said that Beth and I have business cards printed up a number of years ago with our cell phone numbers. And it says, if we can ever pray for you, if there's any prayer needs you have, just give us a call. So he said, I got one of those cards out and got some money to share. I went back inside, but the lady wasn't there. Her, her little girls were up playing video games. So he said, I, I just put the money in the card next to her purse on the table. And I figured that she'd see it there. And I left. And he said, I didn't know what else to do. A few minutes later, he said, my, my cell phone rang, and I, I heard this female voice say, are you the guy from the diner? Uh, yes, yes, I am. Why did you do that? He said, well, I'm a Christian, and I felt like God wanted me to do that. I, I overheard you say you were on the road, and you're obviously having a rough day. And she started crying. Long story short, I ended up getting her a hotel room the next day. She needed help transferring all the belongings from the one you haul to the other, and so they lined up some help to come up and, and give the entire day assisting. Later, Beth spoke with Nettie, that was the woman, by phone, and invited her to spend the night at their house rather than another night in a hotel before she headed out to, to Texas the next morning. So Beth and her daughter Sadie got to love on them, and, and uh, it was a snowy night. Dave wrote, he said... We shared a lot of laughter, hot chocolate, a meal, stories, prayed together. It was incredible. He said, when, when Beth turned in late that night, Beth said, you need to know the rest of the story of what happened back at the diner at Carrollton, what, what Nettie told me. He said, well, what's that? Beth said that, that Nettie told her that she was at the end of her rope. She didn't know what to do. 
Her, her ex-boyfriend had cut off their joint credit card and she couldn't use it for the trip. She had no place to stay. She had no money. She put her last quarter in the, the video game for her kids and she told Beth, I went into the restroom and I locked the door and I got down on my knees. I said, okay, God, if you're up there, you're going to have to show me because I've got no money. I've got a broken down truck. I, I, I can't do this as a single mom, hundreds of miles from my family members. I need to know you are there for me. I need to know that you care. And then he said she got up, wiped her tears away. She unlocked the door. She walked back to the table and there saw that card and that cash gift that had been left for her. How many times have we missed the nudges of God and ignored the promptings of his spirit? Would you commit with me today not to let that ever happen again? Would you commit with me to say, this is a new day. God is, is going to give me new opportunities today. And when we sense those promptings, and when we follow the, the route of obedience, I've been amazed at the way God orchestrates the intersection of our lives in a way that only he can do. So the take-home is this spring, whether you're at work, whether you're at play, whether you're at home, whether you're on a mission trip, out of town, vacation, listen to God's leading wherever you are. God is nudging you to be the answer to someone's prayer. Will you listen to his still, small voice?